Chapter Thirteen of The Return of the Mucker by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Barbara again. Captain Billy Byrne rode out of the hills the following afternoon upon a pinto pony that showed the whites of its eyes and a wicked rim around the iris and kept its ears perpetually flattened backwards. At the end of a lariat trailed the Brazos pony, for Billy, laughing aside Bridges' pleas, was on his way to El Robo Rancho to return the stolen horse to its fair owner. At the moment of departure, Pesita had asked Billy to ride by way of Jose's to instruct the old Indian that he should bear word to one Esteban that Pesita required his presence. It is a long ride from the retreat of the Pesitistas to Jose's squalid hut, especially if one be leading an extra horse, and so it was that darkness had fallen long before Billy arrived in sight of Jose's. Dismounting some distance from the hut, Billy approached cautiously, since the world is filled with dangers for those who are beyond the law, and one may not be too careful. Billy could see a light showing through a small window, and toward this he made his way. A short distance from Jose's is another, larger structure from which the former inhabitants had fled the wrath of Pesita. It was dark and apparently tenantless, but as a matter of fact a pair of eyes chanced at the very moment of Billy's coming to be looking out through the open doorway. The owner turned and spoke to someone behind him. Jose has another visitor, he said. Possibly this one is less harmless than the other. He comes with great caution. Let us investigate. Three other men rose from their blankets upon the floor and joined the speaker. They were all armed and clothed in the nondescript uniforms of Vallistas. Billy's back was toward them as they sneaked from the hut in which they were intending to spend the night and crept quietly toward him. Billy was busily engaged in peering through the little window into the interior of the old Indian's hovel. He saw an American in earnest conversation with Jose. Who could the man be? Billy did not recognize him, but presently Jose answered the question. It shall be done as you wish, Senor Grayson, he said. Ah, thought Billy, the foreman of El Robo. I wonder what business he has with the old scoundrel, and at night. What other thoughts Billy might have had upon the subject were rudely interrupted by four energetic gentlemen in his rear, who leaped upon him simultaneously and dragged him to the ground. Billy made no outcry but he fought nonetheless strenuously for his freedom, and he fought after the manner of Grand Avenue, which is not a pretty, however effective, way it may be. But four against one, when all the advantages lie with the four, are heavy odds, and when Grayson and Jose ran out to investigate, and the ranch foreman added his weight to that of the others, Billy was finally subdued. That each of his antagonists would carry mementos of the battle for many days was slight compensation for the loss of liberty. However, it was some. After disarming their captive and tying his hands at his back, they jerked him to his feet and examined him. "'Who are you?' asked Grayson. "'What are you doing sneaking around spying on me, eh?' "'If you want to know who I am, Bo,' replied Billy, "'go ask the Harlem Hurricane. "'And as for spying on yous, I wasn't. "'But from the looks I guess yous need spying, the tin horn.' "'A pony whinnied a short distance from the hut. "'That must be his horse at one of the vistas, "'and walked away to investigate, "'returning shortly after with the pinto pony.' In Brazos. The moment Grayson saw the latter, he gave an exclamation of understanding. I know him now, he said. You've made a good catch, Sergeant. This is a fellow who robbed the bank at Corvaca. I recognize him from the descriptions I've had of him, and the fact that he's got the Brazos pony makes it a cinch. Villa ought to promote you for this. Yep, interjected Billy. He ought to make you an admiral at least, but you ain't got me home yet, and I'll take more than four dagos and a tin horn to do it. They'll get you there all right, my friend, Grayson assured him. Now come along. They bundled Billy into his own saddle, and shortly after the little party was winding southward along the river in the direction of El Oro Rancho.
with the intention of putting up there for the balance of the night where their prisoner could be properly secured and guarded. As they rode away from the dilapidated hut of the Indian, the old man stood silhouetted against the rectangle of dim light which marked the open doorway, and shook his fist at the back of the departing ranch foreman. El Cochino, he cackled, and turned back into the hut. At El Robo Rancho, Barbara walked to and fro outside the ranch house. Within, her father sat reading beneath the rays of an oil lamp. From the quarters of the men came the strains of guitar music, and an occasional loud laugh indicated the climax of some of Eddie Shorter's famous Kansas farmer stories. Barbara was upon the point of returning indoors when her attention was attracted by the approach of half a dozen horsemen. They reined into the ranch yard and dismounted before the office building. Wondering a little who came so late, Barbara entered the house, mentioning casually to her father that which she had seen. The ranch owner, now always fearful of attack, was upon the point of investigating when Grayson rode up to the veranda and dismounted. Barbara and her father were at the door as he ascended the steps. "'Good news!' exclaimed the foreman. "'I've got the bank robber, and Brazos, too. Caught the sneaking coyote up to—up the river a bit. He had almost said Jose's, but caught himself in time. Someone's been cutting the wire at the north side of the north pasture, and I was riding up to see if I can catch him at it,' he explained. "'He's an American?' asked the boss. "'Looks like it, but he's at the heart of a greaser,' replied Grayson. "'Some of these men are with me, and they are going to take him to Quivaca tomorrow.' Neither Barbara nor her father seemed to enthuse much. To them, an American was an American here in Mexico, where every hand was against the race. That at home they might have looked with disgust upon the same man did not alter their attitude here. That no American should take sides against his own people, Barbara said as much to Grayson. "'Why, this fellow's one of Pesada's officers,' exclaimed Grayson. "'He don't deserve no sympathy from us, nor from no other Americans. "'Peseda has sworn to kill every American that falls into his hands, "'and this fellow's with him to help him do it. "'He's a bad one. "'I can't help what he may do,' insisted Barbara. "'He's an American, and I for one would never be a party to his death at the hands of a Mexican. "'And it will mean death to him to be taken to Quivaca.' "'Well, miss,' said Grayson, "'you won't have to be responsible.' I'll take all the responsibility there is, and welcome. I just thought you'd like to know we had him. He was addressing his employer. The latter nodded, and Grayson turned and left the room. Outside, he cast a sneering laugh back over his shoulder and swung it to his saddle. In front of the men's quarters, he drew rein again and shouted Eddie's name. Shorter came to the door. Get your six-shooter and a rifle and come over to the office. I want to see you a minute. Eddie did as he was bid, and when he entered the little room he saw four Mexicans lolling about, smoking cigarettes, while Grayson stood before a chair in which sat a man with his arms tied behind his back. Grayson turned to Eddie. "'This party here is the slick on that robbed the bank, and got away on that there Brazos pony that miserable bookkeeping dude give him. The sergeant here and his men are going to take him to Corvaca in the morning. You stand guard over him till midnight, then they'll relieve you. They gotta get some sleep first, though, and I gotta get some supper.' Don't stand for no funny business now, Eddie. Grayson admonished him and was on the point of leaving the office when a thought occurred to him. Say, Shorter, he said, there ain't no way of getting out of the little bedroom and back there except through this room. The windows are too small for a big man to get through. I'll tell you what, we'll lock him up in there, and then you won't have to worry none, and neither will we. We can just spread out them Navajos there and go to sleep plump again a door, and there won't nobody have to relieve you all night. Sure, said Eddie, leave it to me. I'll watch the slicker. Satisfied that their prisoner was safe for the night, the Vistas and Grayson departed, after seeing him safely locked in the back room. At the mention by the foreman of his guards' names, Eddie and Shorter, Billy had studied the face of the young American cowpuncher, for the two names had aroused within his memory a tantalizing suggestion that they should be very familiar. 
yet he could connect them in no way with anyone he had known in the past, and he was quite sure he was never before had set eyes upon these men. Sitting in the dark, with nothing to occupy him, Billy let his mind dwell upon the identity of his jailer, until, as may have happened to you, nothing in the whole world seemed equally as important as the solution to the mystery. Even his impending fate faded into nothingness by comparison with the momentous question as to where he had heard the name Eddie Shorter before. As he sat puzzling his brain over the inconsequential matter, something stirred upon the floor close to his feet, and presently he jerked back a booted foot that a rat had commenced to gnaw upon. Hell of a place to stick a guy, mused Billy, and with a bunch of men-eating rats. Hey, and he turned his face toward the door. You, Eddie, come here. Eddie approached the door and listened. What do you want, he asked. None of your funny business, you know. I'm from Shawnee, Kansas, I am, and they don't come no slicker from nowhere on earth. You can't fool me. Shawnee, Kansas. Eddie Shorter. The whole puzzle cleared in Billy's mind in an instant. So you're Eddie Shorter of Shawnee, Kansas, are you? called Billy. Well, I know your ma, Eddie, and if I had such a ma as you got, I wouldn't be down here wasting my time working alongside a lot of dagos. But that ain't what I started to say, which was that I want to lighten here. The goddamn rats are trying to chaw off me kicks, and when they're done with them, they'll climb up after me, and old man Villa'd be sore as a pup. You know my ma? asked Eddie, and there was a wistful note in his voice. Aw, oh, shucks, you don't know her. That's just some of your funny slicker business. You want to get me in there, they're going to try to get around me some sort of way to let you escape, but I'm too slick for that. On the level, Eddie, I know your ma, persisted Billy. I've been in your ma's house just a few weeks ago. Remember the horsehair sofa between the windows? Remember the Bible on a little marble top table? Eh? And Tige? Well, Tige is croaked, but your ma and your paws ain't, and they want you back, Eddie. I don't care if you believe me, son, or not, but your ma was mighty good to me, and you promise me that you'll write her, and then go back home as fast as you can. It ain't everybody's got a swell ma like that, and then that is ought to be good to him. Beyond the closed door, Eddie's jaw was commencing to tremble. Memory was flooding his heart and his eyes with sweet recollections of an ample breast where he used to pillow his head, of a big, capable hand that was wont to smooth his brow and stroke back his red hair. Eddie gulped. You ain't joshing me, he asked. Billy Byrne caught the tremor in his voice. I ain't kidding you, son, he said. What in hell do you take me for? One of those greasy dagos? You and I are Americans. I wouldn't string a home guy down here in this godforsaken neck of the woods. Billy heard the lock turn, and a moment later the door was cautiously opened, revealing Eddie safely ensconced between two six-shooters. That's right, Eddie, said Billy with a laugh. Don't you take no chances, no matter how much sob stuff I hand you. Fur, I'll give it to you straight. If I get the chance, I'll make my getaway. But I can't do it with my flipper's trust, and you with a brace of gas sitting on me. Let's have a light, Eddie. That won't do nobody any harm, and it might discourage the rats. Eddie backed across the office to a table where stood a small lamp. Keeping an eye through the door on his prisoner, he lighted the lamp and carried it into the back room, setting it upon a commode which stood in one corner. You really seen Ma, he asked. Is she well? Looked well when I seen her, said Billy, but she wants her boy back a whole lot. I guess she'd look better if he walked in there some day. I'll do it, cried Eddie. The minute they get money for the pay, I'll hike. Tell me your name. I'll ask her if she remembers you when I get home. Gee, but I wish I was walking in that front door now. She never knew my name, said Billy, but you tell her you seen the bow that must up the two yeggmen who rolled on her, and they were trying to croak her with a butcher's knife. I guess she ain't forgot. Me and my pal were beating it. He was on the square, but the dicks was after me, and she let us have money to make our getaway. She's all right, kid. There came a knock on the outer office door. Eddie sprang back into the front room, closing and locking the door behind him, just as Barbara entered. Eddie, she asked, may I see the prisoner? I want to talk to him. 
"'You want to talk with a bank robber?' exclaimed Eddie. "'Why, you ain't crazy, are you, Miss Barbara?' "'No, I'm not crazy. "'But I want to speak with him alone for a minute, Eddie. "'Please.' Eddie hesitated. He knew that Grayson would be angry if he let the boss's daughter into that back room alone with an outlaw and a robber, and the boss himself would probably be inclined to have Eddie drawn and quartered. But it was hard to refuse Miss Barbara anything. "'Where is he?' she asked. Eddie jerked a thumb in the direction of the door. The key was still in the lock. "'Go to the window and look at the moon, Eddie,' suggested the girl. "'It's perfectly gorgeous tonight. "'Please, Eddie,' as he still hesitated. Eddie shook his head and moved slowly toward the window. "'There can't be nobody refusing you nothing, miss,' he said, "'especially when you got your heart set on it.' "'That's a dear, Eddie,' purred the girl, "'and moved swiftly across the room to the locked door. "'As she turned the key in the lock, "'she felt a little shiver of nervous excitement run through her. "'What sort of man would he be, "'this hardened outlaw and robber, "'this renegade American who had cast his lot "'with the avowed enemies of his own people?' she wondered. "'Only her desire to learn of Bridge's fate "'urged her to attempt so distasteful an interview.' but she dared not ask another to put the question for her, since should her complicity in Bridges' escape, provided of course that he had escaped, become known to Villa, the fate of the Americans at El Robo would be definitely sealed. She turned the knob and pushed the door open, slowly. A man was sitting in a chair in the center of the room. His back was toward her. He was a big man. His broad shoulders loomed immense about the back of the rude chair. A shock of black hair rumpled and tussled covered a well-shaped head. At the sound of the door creaking upon its hinges, he turned his face in her direction and as his eyes met hers, all four went wide in surprise and incredulity. "'Billy!' she cried. "'Barbara!' "'You?' And Billy rose to his feet, his bound hands struggling to be free. The girl closed the door behind her and crossed to him. "'You robbed the bank, Billy?' she asked. "'It was you, after the promises you made me to live straight, always, for my sake?' Her voice trembled with emotion. The man could see that she suffered, and yet he felt his own anguish, too. "'But you were married,' he said. "'I saw it in the papers. "'What do you care now, Barbara? "'I'm nothing to you.' I'm not married, Billy, she cried. I couldn't marry Mr. Mallory. I tried to make myself believe that I could, but at last I knew that I did not love him, and never could, and I wouldn't marry a man I didn't love. I never dreamed that it was you here, Billy, she went on. I came to ask you about Mr. Bridge. I wanted to know if he escaped, or if, if, oh, this awful country. They think no more of human life here than a butcher thinks of the life of the animal he dresses. A sudden light illuminated Billy's mind. Why had it not occurred to him before? This was Bridges Penelope. The woman he loved was loved by his best friend, and she had sent a messenger to him, to Billy, to save her lover. She had come here to the office tonight to question a stranger, a man she thought an outlaw and a robber, because she could not rest without word from the man she loved. Billy stiffened. He was hurt to the bottom of his heart, but he did not blame Bridge. It was fate. Nor did he blame Barbara because she loved Bridge. Bridge was more her kind anyway. He was a college guy. Billy was only a mucker. Bridge got away all right, he said, and say, he didn't have nothing to do with pulling off that safe cracking. I'd done it myself. He didn't know I was in town, and I didn't know he was there. He's the squarest guy in the world, Bridge is. He followed me that night and took a shot at me, thinking I was the robber all right, but not knowing it was me. He got my horse, and when he found it was me, he made me take your pony and make my getaway, for he knew Villa's men would croak me sure if they caught me. You can't blame him for that, can you? Him and I are good pals. He couldn't do nothing else. It was him that made me bring your pony back to you. It's in the corral now, I reckon. I was just a bringing it back when they got me. Now you better go. This ain't no place for you, and I ain't had no sleep for so long I'm almost dead. His tones were cool. He appeared bored by her company, though as a matter of fact his heart was breaking with love for her. Love that he believed unrequited, and he yearned to tear loose his bonds and crush her in his arms. It was Barbara's turn now to be heard. 
she drew herself up i am sorry i have disturbed your rest she said and walked away her head in the air but all the way back to the ranch house she kept repeating over and over to herself tomorrow they will shoot him tomorrow they will shoot him tomorrow they will shoot him End of chapter 13